Today is September 17th, 2020, and this is a landmark silver anniversary episode, the 25th episode of Blurred Laws and Life, with me, your host, Richard Bush. On today's show, we will be exploring the social dilemma. The Social Dilemma is a Netflix show that explores many topics, but one that I will be discussing today, which is relevant to blurred laws in life, which is the loss of the intellectual property rights of those who post videos on TikTok and other social media. For this 25th episode of Blurred Laws in Life, I will have on the show today some of the Blurred Laws and Life favorites over the past 24 episodes to discuss a variety of topics. It has been a remarkable 24 episodes that we have in the bag now since March of 2020 when we began Blurred Laws in Life. And we have covered so many incredible topics over that time. As painful as 2020 has been, it has brought with us issues that will be discussed for years to come, decades to come most likely, from Kobe Bryant's death to the killings of African Americans by police officers to covid to social media issues, to the change in the dialogue in the United States on race relations. It has been an incredible 2020 and the perfect time for a podcast such as Blurred Laws and Life to launch. On today's episode of Blurred Laws and Life, we will focus on social media and digital issues because those have been in the news recently and continue to be in the news. For example, it was reported just today that in the UK, YouTube and Google are being sued for $2.5 billion for allegedly harvesting the private data and information of children under the age of 13 and providing that information to advertisers in violation of UK law. And of course, that is a continuing theme in social media, which began with the Cambridge Analytics scandal involving Facebook a couple of years ago that quite frankly almost brought Facebook to its knees and continues to haunt that social media platform. It is under the microscope with everything that it does. And this information of disclosing the private information of individuals to third parties without their consent is a continuing theme and a reoccurring theme 
on these social media platforms, which is a perfect segue to a related issue. As you all know, as listeners of Blurred Laws in Life, we have been discussing over the past several weeks the executive order of Donald Trump that would require ByteDance to sell the U.S. operations of TikTok to a U.S. company and deposit that money or portions of that money into the United States Treasury. And I reported last week that China, in a game of chess, counteracted President Trump's executive order by issuing its own order that required the Chinese government approval before any such sale of intellectual property to a foreign entity took place. And as I mentioned, Microsoft and Walmart had made a bid to purchase the TikTok assets in the United States, and it appeared that that was going to go through until the Chinese government issued its order. In a development that occurred just the other day, TikTok rejected the Microsoft Walmart acquisition offer and instead entered into a joint venture or partnership or agreed to enter into a joint venture or partnership with a U.S.-based software company, Oracle, that would allow Oracle in some way, shape, or form to control but not necessarily own the TikTok assets. That seems to be a maneuver to avoid the Chinese government order requiring Chinese government approval before the selling of the TikTok assets, but it does not strictly comply with President Trump's executive order. And just this morning, news broke that President Trump said he will rule on the TikTok Oracle deal with Oracle news reports stating to take a 20% stake in TikTok. So whether that deal, that partnership is approved by the US government and whether it complies with President Trump's executive order or a modified version of it remains to be seen. And of course, if President Trump does not approve or says that it does not comply with his executive order, then of course, we will revert back to the lawsuit filed by TikTok challenging the constitutionality of that executive order. Now, this TikTok discussion and the sale of TikTok leads to a, another issue. Who owns the videos that people create on TikTok? Are they owned by the users? Do the users have control over that intellectual property? Can they license that intellectual property? Or is it fair game for anyone to use who wants to use it for their own purpose. Under copyright law, the author of intellectual property owns that intellectual property at the moment of creation. So 
under United States copyright law, assuming that a TikTok video constitutes protected intellectual property, which I believe it would, the question becomes, who owns it? This issue has arisen because I was approached by someone recently who actually saw their personal TikTok video appear in the Netflix show, The Social Dilemma. And the question was whether that movie, that Netflix movie, was violating the privacy, right of publicity, or intellectual property rights of the creator of that video. As a result, we reverted to the TikTok terms of service. And the TikTok terms of service, when you sign up for the TikTok platform, requires you to agree to these terms of service. And they say, in relevant part, you or the owner of your user content still own the copyright in user content sent to us. But by submitting user content via the service, you hereby grant us, meaning TikTok, an unconditional, irrevocable, non-exclusive, royalty-free, fully transferable, perpetual, worldwide license to use, modify, adapt, reproduce, make derivative works of, publish, and or transmit, and or distribute, and to authorize other users of the services and other third parties to view, access, use, download, modify, adapt, reproduce, make derivative works of, publish, and or transmit your user content in any format and on any platform, either now known or here and after invented. The TikTok terms of service and use also state you further grant us a royalty-free license to use your username, image, voice, and likeness to identify you as a source of any of your user content. Provided, however, that your ability to provide an image, voice, and likeness may be subject to limitations due to age restrictions. So what all of that means is that they have complete control over not only what you post, but they can identify you in a license to a third party such as Netflix to actually identify your username and who you are in any TikTok video that they license for use in a movie or television show. That is truly scary stuff. So what does that mean? That means that while technically the user owns the copyright in what he or she creates on TikTok, they have granted TikTok the absolute right to license that content royalty-free to anyone in the world and to modify it, to reproduce it, 
and to make derivative works of it, which means they can change it however they choose. So what that means is that TikTok was free to license to Netflix or anyone else in the world the right not only to publish a TikTok video created by a user of TikTok, but to change it in any way they chose. So a word of warning, be aware that when you use these platforms and you click on that you agree to the terms of service, many times you are essentially giving away your right to control your own intellectual property. So now we will turn it over some, to some of the Blurred Laws and Life favorite guests to follow up on their interviews, to catch up with them on the topics we discussed previously, and to discuss all things social media. I really hope you enjoy this 25th show anniversary edition of Blurred Laws and Life. First guest on this 25th show anniversary edition of Blurred Laws in Life is my arch enemy, nemesis, pain in my ass, Polo the Don. So when we spoke last, it was right after there was an incident in Atlanta and a lot of tension. And so curious if things have calmed down and if things are better now. Um, yeah, we've, we've, what's crazy is the timing of the lunch of your podcast and the things that's happened in the world. It's been a roller coaster ride for every, everyone. And I'd like to thank you for giving us um, education, humor, and a lot of other um, mixed emotions um, along the way, but keeping us, you know, stable and uh, giving us hope that, you know, there is like at the end of the tunnel. But um, it's crazy because you've had so many things to talk about while educating. Um, but this was going on in real time has also been, you know, so interesting and a lot of firsts. You know, we've, we've seen a lot of firsts. We've experienced some things together, basically, um, in real time. And so I like the way you touched on some of the issues and the conversation we had earlier in the year, a couple months back. Um, there was a lot going on with... Uh, police brutality and, you know, just the focus of police brutality and how we, you know, deal with it and how we can solve it and resolve it and so forth and so on. But are things better in Atlanta? Do you think things are better? Yeah, so um, the last interview, I believe the whole incident had just happened with the Wendy's. The guy at the Wendy's. Right. Uh, Yeah, for sure. So really, man, in Atlanta, I'll tell you this. It's really, police brutality is not an issue. I'll say that. And for there to be no conflict or confrontation between civilians and um, I guess the police force, the protector of civilians, I think it's unrealistic for there to be no conflict at all at any point. So as far as the issue, I would say there's not an issue in Atlanta for the most part. Um, and I think 
I think Atlanta could be a, a great example of how it could work for, for everyone across the country um, because a lot of our police uh, force usually comes or are a part of the, are familiar with the community. Um, I know we did just have an incident recently, um, but Atlanta is very influential and um, we're like, this, like a spectacle and we always, things are magnified. Um, but if you look at how much activity there is in the streets, right? A lot of, of Atlanta's culture is street-based. Like, it's not out of the question for um, politicians to be in the strip clubs. Um, it's not out of the question for, for somebody to come from just the worst predicament and build themselves up from the, the ground bottom in the most, you know, grimy ways and become, you know, build a legacy, you know, or, or build something that of prestige, right? So it's not out of the question because Atlanta, there is a lot of, um, it's, it's, I think, it's, you know, Atlanta, I think Atlanta is streets. And I don't think that's a bad thing because because the ecosystem that is created really is really healthy in a sense of, you know, bottom to top, top to bottom, and it kind of all works together. So when you add the police, the police force into that, I believe they recognize and understand the culture and really, um, I mean, they have a job to do and they have to protect. And I think they do a good job at dealing with it, you know, the best, at, at the best it can be dealt with. You know, of course, everybody's going to have a perspective, but. Um, you know, let me interrupt you for a second. I don't, I don't know if you listened to the interview that I did of Brian Leslie. I had on the show a couple of episodes ago a former police chief who is white, but he now testifies on behalf of defendants who are alleging that the police coerced confessions from the defendant or otherwise acted improperly. And he said on the show a couple of very interesting things. He said that he does believe that racism in the police force throughout the country is rampant. He said that police frequently coerce confessions from innocent people because they believe they know the truth and they won't stop interrogating until they get to what he called their truth rather than the truth. And he said that the remedy, the way to fix this is to get the police, the white police officers, deep, more deeply involved in the black communities in which they serve and be there to assist during good times so that when tensions arise or when something happens, the people in the community know that these are good guys, that they're not, you know, the typical, prototypical, stereotypical police officers who are going to do something, you know, bad. So I'd like to know, number one, if you agree with, with him, number one, but then number two, with respect to the first couple of points, but then number two, if you think he's right and that what he's saying is what's happening in Atlanta, that police officers do get involved in the community so that there can be less tension when incidents erupt. Yeah, I believe that's a theory and there's something to that theory. I mean, I believe that Atlanta is community. That's why I said I think Atlanta really, man, is, a, is the example. Atlanta is the greatest city in America, in my opinion, um, because of it. Um, really there's so much opportunity, like, right? I know a lot of people are fighting for equal opportunity, 
Um, and not to segue into another topic, but it kind of relates so it's a race and everything we're talking about. But what's dope about Atlanta, there are specific opportunities for, for people for specific people that come from specific areas in which another place would call an unfortunate situation. So like I said, because Atlanta has a huge street culture, and if you think about entertainment, um, a lot of, I mean, 90% plus of what becomes mainstream in entertainment usually starts from the streets, right? So Atlanta's kind of taken what is considered to be uh, a negative and actually made it a business and trying to create its own ecosystem. So Atlanta is, man, really a special place. But, you know, back to your point, that's absolutely, that's absolutely, um, you know, a perspective. And I, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, Atlanta is community. And because of that, it's not, it's, we don't really see racism for real in Atlanta. Um, although, now, you, you go, although you said to me that if you, if I see that you're black and you see that I'm white, then we're both racist, which you know, I disagree absolutely. with. Absolutely. So, so just so you know, a lot of black people believe that black people can't be racist, right? And because, you know, you start talking about systematic, systemic, you know, you start talking about... See, um, I agree with that. And I know this is a controversial topic, but this uh -huh. is... This, so, so when I've had this conversation... I, I disagree with that. I'm going to tell you why I disagree with that. Can I, I say... What, I, let me, let me, I let want me, to cut you off. Okay, go now, ahead. Some people say, I, you know, some people say, I don't mean to cut you off. I actually want to cut you off. Okay. Um... um I, I disagree with it to a point, and I'll tell you why in a second. Because I've heard a lot of things said by Ice Cube and by Nick Cannon and others that were anti-Semitic, which were clearly racist. But I do have a perspective on, on that, but I want to hear what you have to say first. Okay. So because of where I come from and because of um, my journey and, you know, my blessings as as well as, as well as the things I've been able to figure out, right? Um, I've seen, I've been to the Dominican Republic, right? Where I didn't speak Spanish. And okay, in those situations, you're surrounded by all Dominicans, right? So I'm a minority in that situation. And guess what? I mean, in overall scale, somebody can say, oh, Dominicans can't be racist. But of course they can be. Anybody can be prejudiced. Whenever there is a minority majority, I mean, or I mean, even if it's not that, they can always be prejudiced. So in Atlanta, because it's so black, right? I mean, I might bring my white homeboys around or I date a white girl. I was like one of the first dudes to make dating dating white girls popular. I used to call myself the king of white girls, right? It was like something I thought was funny and fun. Um, and, you know, in, hist I, in history, in the history of mankind, you're one of the first black people to date a white girl. Is that what you're trying to claim? In the history of mankind. I made it cool. Now <laughs> it's now now the new generation. See, and I'm going to tell you what I, why I, I don't feel these uh, these subjects, these subject matters, because if you are in touch with the youth, man, race really don't even matter. We're teaching them racism. First of all, racism is imaginary. It's not even real. First of all. So, and, and I think if you do away with racism, guess what people will find? Losers will always find a way to lose, right? Um, there's, there's so many businesses based off of selling hope to losers. Um, so if you get away and do away with racism, then guess what? They'll find something else like, oh, he's too tall. He was too tall. Or he was too short. Or she was too fat. Or she was too, 
you know, this or that. So everybody can always find an excuse why they're not making it or why some opportunity was not presented how they imagine it to be presented. You and I can relate because the way you came up, you were in the opposite, on the opposite end of the same type of situation. Correct. Right? Yes. So, so guess what? But America right now doesn't want to hear Richard Bush's struggle. Um, some Jewish guy, you know, who has all this money, talk about his struggle. Nobody wants to hear that. Or, or his basketball skills. Nobody wants to hear any of that shit, Richard, from you. That, that last point is not true. <laughs> uh, but my point is, that's not the narrative. I and mean, what I'm trying to, I want us to be able to have candid, honest conversations to uplift and to educate. And, and, and that's what I like about blurred laws. I believe it's a, a step in, you know, into being a hero and heroic um, because you've been brave enough to fight for justice, you know, in a business where there's a lot of injustice. And some of it may have something to do with race, but in general, it's just the way it's set up to begin with, no matter who you are, black or white, you know. Let me tell you why. You know, let me tell you why. The difference. So I've had this conversation with people. So, yes, like I said, I've heard anti-Semitic remarks lately that shocked me from various African-American celebrities that I don't understand. But generally speaking, when people have said to me, when white people have said to me that, hey, Black Lives Matter is racist and this kind of thing and, and black people are racist towards white people. What I always say is I don't agree with that because there's a difference. When white person is racist towards an African-American, and this is the point I make, it's because in some way, shape, or form, they think they're better. When an African-American is angry at a white person, it, racist towards it, a white person. Say it, say it racist. Say it. You don't Hold want on, to let me finish. That's a lawyer you. When they are racist towards a white person, it's not because they think they're better. It's that they are pissed off at how they've been treated, both historically and currently. Uh, and see, so I, I see mean, that as a significant I difference. I disagree. Obviously, what you're saying is true in some, in some instances, obviously. But when there's minority, that's why you got to go back to minority majority, right? When you are a little Jewish sorry as basketball player in the black community, right? You walk into court, pigeon toe, you know how you walk. It's the worst looking walk I've ever seen. When you walk into a court, right, you're 14 years old, which was the prime of your basketball career. Oh my God. I want to slap the You walk the up to the court with that, pigeon, with that pigeon toe walk with those tight ass shorts on, right, while everybody else is like sagging like Michael Jordan. Do you know they called me Larry Bird? Because not just because I was white, but because that's, I had a, a deadly outside jump shot that I was always selected of the top players. <laughs> but think about the, this. Think about this. Oh my but think God. about this. You're about, you're, about, you're about to prove a point, though. You're about I to would prove kill a point. you in basketball. Negative. But you're about to prove a point. Okay. Maybe you earn your respect at some point as a basketball player, which you haven't earned it for me, and nobody has vouched for you yet. But – you imagine, heard my friend come on this show and say that he thought the same thing you did, and I beat him 22 to 2. You heard that. The guy had no credibility. Oh I don't, I don't know if he got paid. I don't know. I, I don't know him. I can't, I can't. But you need a credible resource. But my point is this. When you walked onto the court, right, and people looked at you, and you were amongst all black players, 
they already judged you. They already probably didn't pick you, right? You had to earn or you had to change their perspective. You know, they perceived, perceived uh, you know. That's not being racist. That's kind of being stereotypical. It's a difference. Well, it's the same thing in different situations. So if you were to take that and, and apply it to the job, um, the work, the workforce, or you apply it to, you know, something of value, then it would be considered to be racist. And all I'm saying is, I'm telling you, the whole shit is bullshit. That's my point. Of Black Lives Matter, it Black Lives Matter incites racism. It, it doesn't because you know why? Because Black Lives Matters, Black Lives Matter failed to educate at the same time. And really, racism is lack of education. And so I believe if you put Black Lives Matter, Matter out there, right, the narrative and the way it's being used, it incites racism. And so, so it's almost like this, right? If I'm white, right, and I'm, I'm raising a white child, and you just see all this Black Lives Matter everywhere, coming from the NBA, coming from a lot of corporations that really, and you know, are racist by, by action, you know, by just the way the you know, the way the business model is set up and by the, you know, by the ownership versus employee ratio and pay scale and everything else. And you just see the narrative across the board is Black Lives Matter, right? And I'm raising a little white kid. So now maybe my little white son, he learns that he's not black. He didn't even know he wasn't black. He didn't know he was anything. He just thought he was a kid. So now he's coming to the realization of Black Lives Matter, but I'm not black. Well, that's true of anything because everyone, racism is a learned thing. Anyway, no one's born racist, so. Right. So that's my point. So I believe that Black Lives Matter, and that, from that standpoint, teaches racism. Okay. Let me ask you this question, and it was the news yesterday, speaking of racism and speaking of being maybe overly sensitive, I read today, in fact, that there was a professor of linguistics at the University of Southern California in California, who was making the point that words are just words and really don't have any underlying meaning and that words that might be considered racist in one language um, are not racist in another. And so he was making the point that in Chinese, when we say uh or stammer, or we stammer and say, uh, ah, uh, that kind of thing. In Chinese, they do it by a pronunciation. And I'm not going to say the word because I don't want to get in trouble like he did. But it's spelled, the English translation is spelled N-E-G-U. And it sounds like the N-word. And so he made that point and said it. He said how it's pronounced. And the Black Student Union at University of Southern California complained to the dean and he got suspended and got in trouble. I don't know if he got fired, but he got suspended for uttering that phrase. And there's been a big debate in California. A lot of people came out supporting him and saying this is ridiculous. He's just trying to make a point in teaching the language and how words are different in different languages and they might sound the same, but they have different meanings and so forth. Do you think that's an overreaction? Do you think that's appropriate? What's your view on that? Yeah, I mean, I have no problem with the word. Um, so, do you think that's do you think that's ridiculous? Do you think that's let me ask you a question? As a black man, 
Do you think that's yeah, ridiculous that he got yeah, in trouble? Or do you it, was it depends on the intention. Like, was okay. it like an honest, um, you know, misunderstanding of what, what the professor was trying to relay or what he was saying? And, you know, um, would you have been offended, you think? If it was uh, no bullshit attached to it, I wouldn't have been offended. No, no, I, I'm not. A, I'm not usually offended, though. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Like, my point to this, all this is. It's all bullshit, right? You know, like, where are you trying to where are you trying to go? Where do you want to end up? Like, okay, well, how much energy are you going to give something that doesn't align with where you want to end up or where you want to be, right? So I know that you and I are in a small percentile when it comes to, you know, the things we believe and how we think and how we make something out of nothing and nothing can stop us. And, you know, that's not the average person, right? So... A lot of times it may come up insensitive or, you know, my responses, right? But so I'm just saying, look how much money we made off the word nigga, right? So that's my that's one of my theories to success. One of my theories to success is I can say nigga. I say you were in you and I have been in um, you know, situations, legal situations, and you heard me use a word in a room full of white people and I use it as power, as a weapon. You know, because... Well, um, I don't know if you've used this or not, but, you know, what I said was tell Sony um, I'm not some dumbass nigga. So I I said something to that extent, Right. And I wanted the mediator to say those words specifically. I want him to quote me, right? Because I believe that means something different than anything you could have said or even me putting it in the most polite way with no derogatory words, right? I was making a point, right? Because I believe that we all, I guess if you want to say racist, but we all have um, based our reality upon Things we've seen before, been told before, that we learned uh, before, so forth and so on. So even when we see someone approaching us in a business suit versus a hoodie, you know, with their hands in their pocket, with their hoodie covered over their face, we have two different perceptions of, of preconceived ideas of who's in front of us, right? Which could all be bullshit. So all I'm saying is it's the same thing. It's a reason why you dress the way you dress when you have a big court case, you know, versus when you're just hanging out or versus we go to dinner or versus when we go to a nice restaurant or we go to just grab a burger. All those things, you know, we present ourselves differently. Right. And so all I'm saying is we have to get to the place we want to we want to be. And I think you have. And that's why you're even doing this podcast to reach back and help people to just see the light. And that's why you like me as a guest, because I think I bring some type of perspective, a uh, different perspective than, you know, that's been shoved down our throats or uh, shoved into our minds and our brains of how we should think about one another, which leaves us powerless. Um, I'm trying to actually tell people you have the power. Like, you have the power. So if you want to let the word nigga, like you didn't say nigga, right? But if you want to let that word stop you versus use it, like NWA did, then you'll be held back and they will continue to hold you back 
or you could be a billionaire like Dr. Drake and let pussy uh, take half your money. But anyway, that's a different subject. Well, that is a different subject, but it's, it leads me <laughs> into my next question. <laughs> Turning to a different topic, because I've got a couple of other people I want to have on this podcast. I want to have Matt Goss on. He's, we're going to talk about social media and bullying on social media. It's something he wants to talk about. But there's a couple of things I want to talk with you about before I let you go. We talked about the um, lyrics versus melody debate. It's become a worldwide phenomenon. People have started wars now over this. There's violence in the streets. There's outrage throughout the country and around the world about whether lyrics or melody are more important to a song. And you took the position, I think, when we spoke that melody is more important to a song than lyrics, correct? Correct. But have you, but, now this is a PG, I've made a point to make this a PG rated show and at risk of turning this particular discussion into an R rated discussion. I do have a song that I think changes the narrative and in fact demonstrates that lyrics are power and lyrics are the most important part of a song. Have you heard my client song, Megan the Stallion with Cardi B, WAP, wet ass, you know what, P. Mm-hmm. I have. Number one song in the world. Are there any greater lyrics? And there are so many lyrics that I could never repeat on this show because it is a PG show. But have you ever heard more powerful lyrics than bring a bucket that's, and a mop? That's a, tough, that's a tough one. Bring a bucket and a mop for this wet, you know what? Right. Powerful Give lyrics, me everything my you got. What? Give me everything you got for this wet, you know what? <laughs> Well, you know, man, women are coming into their power. I mean, women have always been, um, they always had the power. That's why, this song, that's why this song is so powerful. They always had the power, and now they're becoming better negotiators. Yes, well, that's it's incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's a funny song. It's a great song. And I actually brought it up for a reason to say, is the lyrics versus melody debate, is a distinction rap? Because you, would you say that in rap, using this as an example and you know, thousands of other songs that while in traditional music, not rap, melody may be more important in rap, obviously, are lyrics the most important thing? Um, no, even in rap. Um, but I, but I, this is a great um, question because lyric would definitely hold, hold a strong argument because I think originally in rap, it was lyric first. Um, but as time went on, if you remember when like Bone Thugs came in, um, people were like, yeah, what the hell are they doing? Is, is that even rap or even Nelly? Is that even rap? Um, and if you look at the the huge surge, you know, in the South's takeover in music, it, it's because they added that melody. You know, even Old Town Road, if you look at some of the biggest rap songs ever, um, a lot of times they're like melody-driven rap songs where, you know, even a genre like R&B that was mostly, um, you know, there is, is R&B because it is melody, right? Um, and it's not rap because it is melody. But my point is, even in R&B, now R&B is kind of becoming more and more like rap because rap has, over the years, become more melodic. So anyway, but I would say WAP, where that's P, um, it's one for lyric. It's one for, for lyric. Yeah. So I, I would give that. I would give that. Bring one a to, bucket. Uh, tell, and tell a Megan. Mop. You tell. <laughs> tell Megan she won this round. 
All right, sounds good. All right, bro. Well, listen, man, I thank you for being on the 25th episode recap of Blurred Laws in Life. You are, you know, you're my man. We are best friends. Doesn't mean I'm not going to embarrass you and humiliate you when the time comes, but I love you, man. And um, I hope I hope to see you in Atlanta very soon. And thank you for always coming on and, and doing your thing. For sure, man. We're making the world a better, better place, man. Happy 25th. Yeah, trying to. All right, man. Take care, Polo. Next, I have on the 25th, yes, the 25th anniversary show of Blurred Laws and Life, a Blurred Laws and Life favorite. I'm not sure who is more favorite, Matt or Polo to Don. I haven't decided yet, but one of the favorites of Blurred Laws and Life, Matt Goss. Hi, Matt. Hey, mate. Listen, that is not, that has got to be one of the most underwhelming introductions I've ever had in my life. I mean, I mean the only Usually way. Usually, you're introduced I'm, as someone who's performed for the Queen, who's performed. Yeah, this is true. Guinness <laughs> Book of World Records, youngest man in history to headline Wembley Stadium. Headline, headliner sold millions of records. Yeah, I'm a legend in my own mind. A legend in your spare time, and yeah, yeah, and but now you're not even necessarily the top. Necessarily guest your favorite in life. I mean, geez, what's happened to you? I mean, you send me naked pictures of yourself every day, and you know, not and every like, day, not every countless. Matt, not every day, not, not every day. But you know what I mean. Like every other day, still feels like every day coming from you. <laughs> and I'm not one of your favorites. Jeez. Let's get real for a second, Matt. <laughs> get real. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get real with you, man. It scares me. Don't strike back at me just because you're, you're not necessarily the number one universe. guest on Blur. Listen, don't get angry because you're not necessarily no. the number one guest on Blur Laws in Life. Not necessarily. I'll take Polo to Don is a good guest. You have a lot to, you know, he talks a lot. He says a lot of things. Okay. All right. And you don't talk a lot. I do, but I'm not a guest. This is my show. Do you understand the difference? Listen, true wisdom comes from the people that listen. So carry true on. True wisdom comes from the people who listen. I like that. It's deep. Now, Matt, we've been talking about... not a word you hear very often. What it's not that? words that I hear very often. So right. this is a recap of Blurred Laws and Life. And when we, we've spoken about different topics, one thing we spoke about, and I'll follow this up with what I just talked about with Polo de Don. And, you know, um, we talked about the lyrics versus melody debate in our prior yes, discussion. Yes, Blurred, and then... We sang a very touching and beautiful duet of Elton John's "Your Song." You you remember that? It was beautiful. Yeah, that was just obviously like one of the biggest moments of my life. Could, are you saying that facetiously, or are you serious? Absolutely facetiously. Yeah, absolutely. No, do you know, no, do you know no question. That, not even not even sarcasm. Do you know that Megan The Stallion and Cardi B have a song called "WAP"? That's out. WAP. Yes, I do, bro. I know that song, yes. Have you ever heard 
more powerful lyrics than bring a bucket and a mop for this wet mm-mm? Have you ever heard more powerful lyrics in your life? Does that change your opinion on the melody uh, versus lyrics listen, debate? Man, listen, I'll say, this is the honest truth. This isn't going to be like what people want to hear, but my, I'm an, I'm an old school modern man. So like I, I'm tattoos and tuxedos. I have tattoos, but I love tuxedos. I like James Bond, but I also like Shakespeare. I mean, I like, I think you need to be multi uh, dimensional. And I like, I, it's just not really my thing really, man. I, I like, I like women um, that have class and it's just not my thing. It's a it's funny song. It's, it's meant to be entertaining. Listen, I'm glad it's entertaining to you. It's just not it's my entertaining thing. to the entire world. It's the number one song in the United States of America. I'm really happy. You know, it makes me, it makes me original. And there's going to be a couple of ladies listening to this and a couple of fellas. I don't care if it's a couple of fellas and a couple of ladies that are going to say to me, yeah, it's just not my thing, man. It's just not my thing. It may not be. Okay, I get that. I accept that. But let me ask you a question. And I ask because this question. Because I'm an and I have the balls to say that the number one record is really just like, listen, I'm just, You find it distasteful. Is that what you're saying? I, I think it's, it's just, listen, I get that it's, um, you can look you at it as- You can't take uh, life so seriously. It's I'm meant to be entertaining. Uh, listen, there were plenty of things to understand. You might have not realized, uh, uh, Richard, but I'm, I'm an entertainer and I entertain I people. I do know that. But, um, but, I but think there are there different ways something. to entertain. It's what do you want me to agree with you every bloody time? What do you want? What, is this blurred lines or is it one line? Wow, I like blurred that. Lines. I like, you know what? This is getting saucy, baby. This is blurred lines. This is meant to have. We're meant to be. Don't don't draw a line in the sand, Richard Bush. This is me. This is me having an opinion, and you're telling I, me I basically. I, I I'm trying to play devil's world. advocate. I'm trying to give you the other side that it's not meant to be serious. It's meant to be something that you can laugh about and like say, "Wow, that's so yeah, outrageous." Me, but that's maybe maybe I, for me. I'm like I listen to it, and that's where your melody versus lyric comes into play. Yeah, the melody and the beat's great. But I'm not really the the girl I end up marrying is not going to be like that's not. That's I don't not think Megan. I don't think Megan or Cardi B. Version of female empowerment. Female empowerment to me is not that. How about that? Okay, I accept that. In fact, you know that's funny because that's kind of a polo made the opposite point. But I think that it's just meant to be funny, entertaining, and so outrageous that people like laugh at how outrageous it is. I think that's the yeah. whole point. But listen, there's certain art. There's certain modern art that's outrageous that doesn't appeal to me and maybe i'm a bit more of a traditionalist i like pushing the boundaries i like stuff that's you know i think amy winehouse pushed the boundaries and she created music that was you know that was just so so raw and fresh and authentic and it's just to me this is just like just not my thing man it's just it's not sexy i get it's it not sexy. well that's and what I makes love, the world go I, around man that's what makes the world go around. And to me, it makes me laugh. And I enjoy that's it. Just because, it. That's because you, uh, you, your life is very serious and you're a lawyer and you're a world-class lawyer. And, and, but when it comes to your personal life, you're, you're pretty basic. Why do you have to go there, man? <laughs> <laughs> man, that was a low blow, man. <laughs>
<laughs> I know. That was definitely below the upper That was guy. below the belt, man. That wasn't I don't know why you had to go there. That was me kneeling on the ground and then an uppercut in your balls. That's I, I think was. that was like revenge, man. Like, like, no. I was like, I don't know. That, that was like years of frustration built it's up for that weird, one no, moment. I think, it was, I think you laughed because you're like, oh, Gossie just didn't. I just didn't have an immediate response in that. No, it was, it was so painful. And like, I feel like that was like ten years of frustration, like taking my little barbs for ten years, and yeah, that you had your Bush shot, man, just came out swinging. Immediate response is rare, fact, ladies and gents. It's a very rare thing you just witnessed. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let, let's let's talk about something else that, that we wanted to talk right. about. I talked about earlier in the show different social media issues and right. we have talked about in the past something yeah. kind of relatively serious so we can get a little bit more serious now for a moment which is you know the fact that when it comes to entertainers like yourself right being on a social media platform is very important because it keeps you in touch with your fans it keeps them engaged and it's important but the flip side is that the public has access to someone like yourself that they never before would have. And there can be a downside, kind of a dirty side to that as well. And um, we've talked about that in the past. And I just wanted to talk about that with you because earlier in the show, I also mentioned that on TikTok and I'm sure on other social media terms of use, that when you post something on there, you lose control over it. When someone posts their own TikTok video, they no longer own it. They're, it's licensed to TikTok, and they can TikTok can give access to it to anyone they want to use it, to change it, to modify it. Um, I had a situation where a client came to me whose TikTok video appeared on a um, Netflix movie just out of the blue, saw her own TikTok video on a, on a Netflix show. And she was like, can they do that? And the answer is yes. And so these issues are, are percolating out there in society. But I'm curious what your thoughts are both on that last point about how you can lose control of your of your right to control your intellectual property. But more importantly, I think one of the discussions we've had is about how you know the public has such access to you and both the upside and downside to that and what your views are on that. Well, can, can, we, do a, can, can we do a pros and cons? Absolutely. Uh, I think, first of all, the pros for social media, I think, as opposed to when I first started in the industry, is that you cut out the middleman. So if there is a story about you or there's rumors about you, whatever it may be, you can actually put the record straight immediately without having to wait for necessary a publication or a big interview. So stuff like that, I think it's really helpful. So it cuts out the middleman, allows you to immediately have direct contact with your fan base and people that maybe aren't your fan base that are just interested in your life or whatever. So I think that is definitely a plus and it allows, and if it's, if it's used in a, in, in a healthy way, you can get, I, I've been every Sunday, I've been doing my Instagram lives where at, at 1 PM Vegas time and 9 PM UK time, I've been doing a live Instagram where I've been calling around probably around anywhere between six to 10 fans and non-fans about life, about mental health issues, about funny stuff, about, you know, I, 
I've been meeting their families. So it's been allowing me to really understand human connection and uh, what's happening right now where everybody feels just a little bit exhausted from this marathon that we're, we're running. And then we're getting to the finishing line and people are saying, okay, you've got another marathon to run. So I've been really getting into human condition. So it really has been quote unquote social media. Now on the opposite side of it, I think that it amazes me. And I think anyone in the public eye and even people that aren't in the public eye, that the trolls, Obviously, what we all know is trolls, the person that has no followers and and their sole job is just to create misery and, frankly, bully people online. I think there's no real governing body on these social media sites like Facebook, you know, like Jack Black did a 24-hour boycott on his, on his social media to let, you know, to try and raise awareness on Facebook or on Instagram, like the amount of fake Matt Goss accounts that come on zero followers or even just accounts that come on the ones who speculate about my personal life that that insult people in my life that that I might be dating somebody I might not be dating somebody or and the, the language they use is so foul it's there's no way you can report them but it's so easy just to set up another account and and then you have to go through again and then so I definitely think there's a massive lack of governing body where you can say, look, online bullying is – there needs to be a, a heightened sense of consequence for online bullying. There needs to be something where they say this is just not right. And I was saying to you earlier that what I find amazing about social media is that we have our phones and we consider our phones – one of our most personal devices. It's what we read our emails on. It's what we have personal conversations on, um, private texts. But for some reason, we allow, you know, hundreds of thousands of people technically to, to have access to your personal cell phone. And it's. Uh, I just wish that people would respect. I don't think when one of the biggest cliches is, oh, it comes with the territory. If you're if you're a celebrity, I think that is barbaric it should not be viewed in that way i think if you you know i want to i want to create a t-shirt that just says don't press send like if you've got something bad to say write the words down first write them down and see if that gets it out of your system if you've got to text it don't press send just don't press send you can change somebody's day and the same says it can be said something in a positive way if you have say something good Say something kind, be a positive, say something with a positive affirmation or, uh, you know, be the wind beneath, you know, the warm wind beneath somebody's wings. Encourage people to do well, encourage people to get to their mental health issues or their loneliness. And there's a lot going on right now. And I think I don't like how divisive things feel, how the separatism. I I recently said something that I I believe if we focus on our similarities, that will then give us the foundation to focus on our differences. And I think that's really sums it up for me. Focus on our similarities so we can then, you know, build foundations that are strong enough to address our differences. And I think that it's something that I really, really hope people think about because it can, it's exhausting. For me, recently, I contemplated just shutting down all of my social media just for, for a while because, you know, you spend 
an hour kind of deleting speculative mean comments about your life and about what you're doing and it, 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 it i truly don't understand it honestly i don't i'll shut up now <laughs> well no it's important what you're saying but i guess the question becomes well first my reaction to it is that there's just a lot of ugly people out there who are unhappy and who therefore want to take it out on other people under the auspices of complete anonymity and social media gives them the right, the ability to do that. And nothing you say and no persuasive argument anyone makes is going to change the fact that there's just a lot of unhappy, angry people in the world who that's their only power to make other people feel bad. And it's right, a right. horrible, sad reality about humanity. It just I is. I think you hit on something then that you said uh, anonymity. And I, I would respect people more if they put their, their picture on this, their uh, account, you know, so everybody could see who they were. I think keyboard warriors are the most annoying, you know, I, I find that so cowardly. You know, when somebody won't put their picture on, so you actually, you, they don't even have the courage to put their face on and say, this is what I believe. If you're a mean person and you want to be mean publicly, then I would respect that more than hiding behind, you know, a picture of a, of a, of a flower, you know, that, that, or, you know, some fake name with no posts and no followers. And it takes a certain individual that is very cowardly not to actually show their face. So I would respect it more if the, 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 the trolls and the keyboard warriors would actually put a face to their account. Well, guess, so what, Matt? Actually- guess what, Matt? This is not new. It just takes on a different sense, a different form of anonymity. Why do you think the members of the Ku Klux Klan put white sheets over their head? Right. I mean, it's cowardice and it's anonymity and it's being able to hate with immunity and do things that you never want people to know you're doing. And that's been basically the way these kind of people have done it throughout history. During this this conversation now, how good would it be if we could shine light on the fact that, hey, listen, anybody watching this that has a fake account or anyone that you know, let's encourage people to be less cowardly and actually stand by if, if they are mean or if they are bullying, then don't hide. Stand behind your opinions so that we can actually know who you are. Like, here's the problem. There's the no thing, real like, way. There's no real way to do that. So the bottom no, I know line there's is no real that way to do we it, have, but let's encourage people to have it's not gonna happen. A, a very like, uh, in a way, you know, unless you really are numb. Um, it is hurtful. So I think the thing is, is that I think it's less hurtful if you can go, okay, that person, that person has the courage to say something that is potentially not very kind or, and then you can, there's almost more respect when somebody's just a dick and they can at least go, oh, that guy, you know, Mr. Smith is a dick. It's like he's being, at least you can, can get to see the face behind it. I have more respect for that than the keyboard warriors that hide. No, uh, I really, the problem I, is that you really can't look. There's the First Amendment, and then there's the way it's all set up. Is not people in the can? World, I know, but listen. Person. Let me. Here's the point. Here's here's the ultimate question, Matt. You're aspirational in saying you wish people would do this. Well, it's 
fantasy to believe that's going to happen. So the question becomes – Let me just say this one thing you just said because I don't want to – you just said it's the constitutional right. So are we, why is everything constitutionalized when – you know, yes, the Constitution. I'm, as a British man, I have a great deal of respect for the Constitution, but I also believe freedom of speech, unless it falls within. An no, exception. but I believe that also the, the bottom line. We can we can debate this all night, but the bottom line is, and the real question for you is, is it worth it? In other words, are the pros to set, to start where we started? Are the pros to you as an entertainer to stay in touch with your fans through social media worth? the downside that you have to endure as a result. Sometimes, sometimes, listen, like I'll tell you, as an entertainer, you know, I don't get excluded from having a bad day. You know, my stepfather recently went into hospital, like my mother was killed, my sister was murdered. I've got things going on in my life, not just now, but recently that, that during these times that I miss people that I've lost. I've got, you know, I've made and lost millions of dollars. I've you know, I've got stuff going on as well. So yeah, the pros are definitely that I get to stay in touch with my wonderful fans and they've been with me for many, many years. But there are days, there are days that you just go, is it worth it? And it's a good, it's a good debate and it's a good, it's, and I'm glad we're talking about it. But the, the answer, simple answer is, is there are days when it's absolutely worth it, but there are days when you go on and you, you want to connect and you want to see how people are feeling. You want to try and make a difference in their day. And then you put the phone down and you have nothing, you have no energy of your own left. And you just feel completely zapped of energy because, listen, I'll tell you what happened recently. I did a, a live last Sunday and there was this wonderful, wonderful young woman, 12 years old. She recently had her, her arm amputated from a free caps accident she had. She's a dancer, and it was the first time she danced on um, since she since she had her amputation. And there were some people that posted posted that to me beggars belief. I just don't understand it. So you got to understand, as a spiritual person and any artist listening to this, we are affected by everything. Everything affects us in a good way, and also also in a way that where we we will digest stuff and. We're not meant to be. We're not meant to be desensitized because of freedom of speech. Maybe we should just encourage people to be kinder. And yes, everyone has his right to say whatever they want. But maybe we can elevate ourselves as a, as a race to understand that kindness and the delivery of information when it's kind, actually elevates people rather than going, "Well, my freedom of speech right is that I can be an idiot." And I can be cruel. Maybe we'll start trying to educate the human race to actually elevate ourselves where we just don't really find that acceptable as people. So I am I am passionate about this subject because I think that you can change somebody's day. And the way you deliver information, the way you deliver information, whether it be good news or bad news, can change somebody's entire day. And I know for me personally, I would rather elevate somebody's day even to the point – where I don't want to use the word urgent or um, because I know that anything right now that is alarmist, there are a lot of people out there listening to this podcast that are going through things. And if I am somebody that can actually try and take away somebody's problems, it's a privilege to, to lift people's spirits. It's a privilege. Yep, it sure is. 
And that's what I try to, I try to do that through this podcast to anyone who's listening to this. I want them to not only be educated and learn, but I want them to be entertained. And I try to put a smile on people's face because that means a lot to me personally. And I, and I hope that I'm able to do that as well through this. Well, you do. You're one of my dearest friends. I mean, we, you know, we came out of a litigation recently. You prevailed for us. Um, but you're also, you know, five nights ago, we were speaking about stuff that was extremely deep, extremely real. And I couldn't, I couldn't have that friendship with you outside of our work relationship. If you weren't a soulful human being, you really, really care. And we've had this conversation before and I think what you're doing is great. And I hope that Bloodlines, his podcast grows and I'm always, always here to have these kind of debates because I just, I think that one thing I've learned is that entertainment doesn't have to always make you laugh out hysterically. It can just be conversational. And I think that's, it's really good that people actually are starting to communicate more and see the value of listening. Yep. You're absolutely right, Matt. And I love you for saying that. And thank you for being on today's 25th episode, landmark 25th episode of Blurred Laws and Life. And um, I love you, man. And um, I hope you have a really great night. And I'm sure we'll talk tomorrow. I love you too, my brother. All right, man. Have a good night. God bless everybody. So I hope you all enjoyed this 25th episode of Blurred Laws in Life. And I want to thank my very, very good friends, Polo Dodon and Matt Goss, for being on the show today and offering their insight on a full range of topics. We ha always have a lot of fun. We try to interject humor and hopefully make you all smile and laugh and brighten your day in what is a difficult time for many people. We like to educate, we like to provide insight, and most importantly for me, we like to entertain you on Blurred Laws in Life. What these first 25 weeks have shown is that the news cycle comes fast and furious. New cases are filed every day on a broad range of topics, and developments occur even within the pending cases. And it's been a lot of fun to bring our insight to those cases and with respect to those developments to all of you. It's been an enjoyable 25 weeks, and we hope to do this for a very long time. So once again, I hope you enjoyed this 25th episode of Blurred Laws in Life, and... We will talk to you next week. Have a great week, everyone.